Hello, welcome to Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, A Chapter at a Time, spoiler free. In this episode, we're talking about Chapter 13 of Northern Lights, Fencing. long time no see i know i know at least we can see each other's faces through the internet the magic of the internet we are into week two of isolation how are you feeling (laughs) i am feeling okay the last couple of days i felt like super sluggish but i think it's because i'm coming on my period um which doesn't fucking help i think that the Novelty is the wrong word, but I can't think of a better one. But like the novelty of last week being the first week in isolation slash like social distancing has worn off now. And I feel like now it just starting to feel normal, but also I'm a bit like, oh, when are we going to be able to go out again? The one light in my life is that I have been playing Animal Crossing and I love it. I love it so much I'm obsessed with it and I've always enjoyed video games but I'm like really temperamental with them so if it if it becomes too difficult then I'll just quit and never play it again when I play on my old games like Spyro and Crash Bandicoot I just do the levels that I know how to do and then don't ever go any further unless I've got someone helping me but like Animal Crossing is so chill and just like really cute and I'm just like living on my island with with like my little animal pals and cutting down trees and building stuff oh it's so good i'm literally so jealous like everybody's playing it at the moment now is the time to like buy a switch and start playing you literally can't even buy one anywhere because everyone's had the same thought at the same time (laughs) i actually tried because liam's got a switch but i actually tried to i wanted to buy my own and liam was like this is me trying to fucking spend money but he was like why are you doing that i've got my switch but he plays on it all the time so i was like worried that i wouldn't be able to play on animal crossing but yeah i couldn't find one anywhere and then when it came down to it, I was like, well, I'm actually pretty glad that I didn't just drop like 200, 300 quid on a Switch when there's already one in my house anyway. I was just being a bit like yeah. manic last week. Like, what can I do to make myself feel better? I don't know, I'll buy everything. So yeah, I'm glad I didn't. And now I just steal Liam's Switch all the time. <laughs> That's fine. He's always playing Overwatch. Uh, no. Apex. Apex, Apex Legends. <laughs> yeah. It's like a first person shootery game that I have no interest in whatsoever. Yeah. I wish I had more time to do like reading and gaming and stuff. For some reason, I've managed to like fill my calendar quite full, in part because we're being really great and trying to record a podcast a week, which turns out to be a lot more work. It is literally <laughs> double the work crammed into a week. And it's like, I knew this because we do it every other week. Yeah. And like just managed to get them out on time. Yeah. And now we're aiming. You may have noticed last week's episode came to you a week early. We're aiming to to try to do one a week while we're isolated because we've got nothing better to do. But also, I'm just really busy now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've got much more time in the evening now. But like, I'm still working all day. Like, I'm lucky enough that my job, I can work from home. So I'm still doing my full-time work at home. And it's actually really, really busy. So yeah, when we were like, let's do a podcast a week. And I'm all in for that because I'm not doing much else in the evenings but now I'm like yeah it's quite a lot of work but it kind of (laughs) it's 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 a lot of work but like I think I'd rather be like busy as well um I'd rather have it to do than to like face these like upcoming weeks and even potentially months and not have anything yeah definitely again I'm quite fortunate in that 
I'm unfortunate in that my usual steady stream of income that would come from freelancing in the props industry has completely disappeared because it's all props and events and there's no events happening. So that's scary, but I wanted to spend this year working on my own art and now I've been forced to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my safety net is gone. Unfortunately, because I am self-employed, I can look into how to recoup that because the government's kind of trying to support people and I'm fortunate enough to be one of the people that haven't missed out. Mm-hmm. The post offices all around me have completely closed, so I might have to shut down some sections of my online shop because I can't, I physically can't get the products out to people. So my like one other source of income is products and the toys that I make. I can't physically post them at the moment until I can get to a post office branch which is actually open and like there's like five post office branches within a mile of me and they are all closed if I can last through till June I might be able to get some form of not handout from the government but some kind of like financial relief from the government if I can live on porridge till June it'll be fine or July or whenever We'll see. The world. (laughs) Oh, the world. It's fun. Mm. Yeah, my day-to-day has not really changed, but for some reason I've given myself loads of things to do and then have the added stress of having been spoiled when I order something, it arrives quite quickly and now nothing is arriving on time because all the delivery services are working flat out to get stuff to people and they're working really hard, but everything's delayed. So spoiled. (laughs) I know. know. It's funny, isn't it? Like You kind of realise how much we took for granted before this. Like how you could always get basically everything that you wanted very quickly. And now that's not the case. I wonder how it's going to be when we're all allowed out again. Everyone's going to go batshit crazy. (laughs) Right. Like freak out running around. Or we'll all just be absolutely terrified of the outside world and we'll never leave again. Yeah. 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 (laughs) We've got some like good news. We are going to, well, actually when this podcast comes out, we will have already done it, but we at the point in time that we're recording, we haven't. We are interviewing the casting directors of the His Dark Materials TV series, which is super exciting. It's so exciting. Faye is amazing and she put on her big girl pants and she sent out some emails and we're just so happy and excited that they're willing to talk to us. We're just a little tiny podcast. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's so lovely. It's so exciting. I literally just email people because that's kind of what I do. Not... I don't do it for a job, but my job entails a lot of emailing people and asking for things. So it's just kind of like instilled within me now. And I was just like, I'm just going to email like this bunch of people. They probably won't get back to us. And then most of them did. And I was like, we have to arrange all this stuff. And it's so exciting. But ah, (laughs) very scary. Yeah. 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 Very scary. We haven't decided when the interview is coming out. And we'll see when when we've got the time to do it. But I'm really looking forward to speaking to them both, especially because if you guys listen to our TV series episodes, you'll know how much we loved it and how much we had to say about the casting. And you'll know from last week how much I loved Lynn as Lee Scoresby, so I will definitely be uh, sliding in a question about that somewhere. Oh, definitely. We've had some really great question submissions from listeners and people on like the Reddit threads and stuff like that, and it's... I'm really excited to ask some of those questions. I'm really excited to see what we can find out. Yeah. We'll, we'll try our hardest, but I suspect we'll get nothing to find out exciting things about season two. <laughs> that actually makes, re- reminds me of when it didn't go too well with Lorne Balfe when we asked him about season two and he was just like, I'm not telling you anything. And we were like, Lorne. <laughs> like, we were like, we tried. And he was like, not hard enough. <laughs> I was like, we don't want to push it too much. Thank you so much. <laughs> we, we respect your NDAs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want you to get sued. 
exactly we're, we're good people we don't want to get the lawyers on your back so yeah look out for that it'll be it'll be coming soon-ish we hope the other thing that i was going to mention is that our listener melissa i think she hi melissa hi melissa i think uh she was a little bit behind on the podcast and she was listening to a couple of chapters ago i can't remember what chapter it was uh where john far goes off about his hammer and we were just outraged. Absolutely hated it. Yeah, and we <laughs> hated it so much. She must have been like, what? Because she messaged us on Facebook and she was like, my copy doesn't have that hammer ramp. And I was like, what? And she sent us a uh, screenshot of her hammer ramp. So I'll read it if I can find it. Should I find the original hammer ramp yes. to compare and contrast? Or do we just never need to hear that again? Because get out. Get the fuck out. <laughs> I think we should do the original Hammer Rant first and then the, the edited one. Also, she said she really liked my picture of the dragon, so thank you. Oh. Oh, God. I found it. Okay. Page 139, if your book is the same as mine. So, this is the original Hammer Rant that we read. Be assured of this, Margaret. When time comes to punish, we shall strike a blow. Uh, Such as will make their hearts faint and fearful. We shall strike the strength out of them. We shall leave them ruined and waste, broken and shattered, torn in a thousand pieces and scattered to the four winds. My own hammer is thirsty for blood, friends. She ain't tasted blood since she slew the Tartar. I can't get through it. I can't get through it. It's official. Not again. She ain't tasted blood since I slew a Tartar champion on the steps of Kazakhstan. She's been a-hanging in my boat and dreaming. (laughs) She can just smell the blood on the wind from the north. She spoke to me last night and told me of her thirst and I said, Soon, girl. Soon. Oh, my God. I can't believe I'm hearing this now for the second time. (laughs) I hate it so much. God. Okay, so I'm not going to... I'm not as good as accent as Rich, but hopefully my just northern accent will be fine. So this (laughs) is... I don't know why I made him northern. (laughs) It just happened. This is what's in Melissa's book, which I assume... it The screenshot that she... Melissa, please confirm this for us, but... I'm assuming that you are reading it on some kind of Kindle and or like iPad or other tablet because it looks like a screenshot from a screen. I'm I'm not sure like if this is the latest, latest version, but yeah, please let us know, Melissa. This one says, but be assured of this, Margaret, when the time comes to punish, we shall strike a blow as will make their hearts faint and fearful. We shall strike the strength out of them. We shall leave them ruined and wasted, broken and shattered, torn in a thousand pieces and scattered to the four winds. Don't you worry that John Farr's heart is too soft to strike a blow when the time comes, and the time will come under judgment, not under passion. So it's kind of like they've just cut the whole middle bit of that speech out, because he does go on to say that in my book about don't you worry that John Farr's too faint to strike a blow or whatever. Somebody obviously reread this book and went, oh, that hammer bit is not necessary. Yeah, somebody that literally like they- was thinking like us, they were like... <laughs> God, get that fucking hammer bit out. That immediately makes the reader think that he's a bit of a prick, so let's take that out. (laughs) I love that. But yeah, listeners, if any of you ever notice any kind of like discrepancies between the books, you know that we are hot on that shit and we love to learn that stuff. Oh my God, we love it. Yeah, let us know (laughs) at HDMPod on socials or you can email us at her.materialspod at gmail.com. Anyway, Rach, what would your demon have been this week? So, I was having a think, and I was looking at animals that are solitary, and then as I was reading the chapter, 
Yorick mentions how bears are solitary animals. And then I was just thinking, I've just been really sleepy recently. And bears do love a good hibernate. We're all being very solitary at the moment. Like, I'm being quite social. I've got my got my house around me, which is nice. There's like four of us in the house, so I'm not completely alone. But I do think, how bloody brilliant would it be if I had like, just a bear? Just, just a bear being all cuddly. It was really hot last week and lovely, but this week it's gone cold and it's cold in the workroom. And I just want a big, sleepy, cuddly, snuggly bear. No, to, to be solitary with me and to be grumbly. That's cute. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I had trouble kind of thinking of mine this week because my week's been very similar to last week in the sense that I've done exactly the same thing. So I was like, hmm, thinking about like, what do I want at the minute? And I just really want to be near some kind of body of water. I was like thinking about the sea and the ocean I was like I really want to be there right now I really want to swim somewhere so I was like mine would be some kind of aquatic animal just for this short period of time so I went with a I went with a a a killer whale because they are my favorite animal but where would he live would he just be in the bathtub while you're thinking about being in the sea no so so see this is a very specific choice because so they're my demon for for this week but in my head this week I am near the ocean, so for this week, I'm always near the ocean, and then next week, I'm back in my flat. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Is that allowed in the rules? I mean, it's an imaginary demon. (laughs) You can be imaginarily near the ocean if you want to be. (laughs) Yes, I feel like that is what I need this week, so that's what I'm giving myself. Last chapter, while stopping to rest, the alethiometer told Lyra about a ghost in the next village. Yorick took Lyra to find the ghost and ended up learning what the gobblers are doing to the missing children. In this chapter, Lyra and Yorick bring Tony, the demonless boy, back to the Egyptians where he sadly passes away. Lyra learns more about the bears and their strength when she fences with Yorick. We uh, pick up right where we left off and Lyra is still with the demonless boy. And we, again, like, learn how abnormal it is to be without a demon. Like, they're really, like, hammering that point home. I think I, like, put a little sticker. So this chapter, actually, I put so many stickers in my book. Like, more than usual. More than ever. Yeah. More than ever before. But also, it's all in this first three or four pages. Yeah. And then after that, it goes back to, like, a normal amount. Because, like, every single sentence on this first page hits me where it hurts. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. We're trying to give everybody some lovely, nice... Nice bit of podcasting, a nice, like, friendly chat about our favourite books in this time that's quite stressful. And the two chapters we've released since we've gone into lockdown have been the most emotionally traumatising chapters of the book so far. Yeah, we've hit an unfortunate point that is parallel to the world, but, like, not in a, not in a good way. Yeah. So, so we're sorry for how this has landed. I mean, if I cry while we're recording this, it is only in part... Because, because I'm a little bit like on edge from the world being in a scary place right now and the rest of it is just that oh this chapter yeah it's a tough it's a tough one it really is a tough one I mean it, you may you may get tears from at least one of us for the first time <laughs> 
Okay, it's so gonna get real. Yeah, okay. the sticker that I put was literally the first lines. So mm-hmm. her first impulse was to turn and run or to be sick. A human being with no demon was like someone without a face or with their ribs laid open and their heart torn out. Something unnatural and uncanny that belonged to the world of night ghasts, not the waking world of sense. And although that is a horrible description of the boy, I also love that it's really gory and it talks about somebody's like ribs being open. It's so like guttural. Yeah, I think like it's just such an intense thing. I love how throughout the next page or so, it turns from this like shock and horror and disgust into like this sense of pity. Mm. Yeah. And just like love and like sorrow for this little boy there's a little bit in the next couple of pages that uh, you were just touching on but where and we'll get to it but i'm just going to talk about it now where she mentions that she fights with her sense to be sick and then also her sense of like being compassionate and she goes with being compassionate and i think that really highlights what makes lyra so special especially mm-hmm. as a child because i think it's even more difficult to make that decision then it would be to just go either way so like some people would just be filled with compassion and some people would just be filled with revulsion but to have both inside of her at one time and having to make the conscious choice to go with compassion I think really really shows how emotionally intelligent she is for a 12 13 year old and what a good person she is at the core of her being she is obviously a very good person yeah this is a really strong Lyra chapter this I think is the chapter where if you were... I mean, we take the piss out of her all the time because she's a self-centered little git and I love it. (laughs) But this is where, like, Lyra's true colours really kind of come through and her, like, bravery and her compassion and her fierceness. This is the Lyra that I sign on for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she is peak Lyra in this chapter. This, like, seeing him without his demon, she clings pan to her chest and her head starts swimming and she just feels really sick and horrible. And then... The little boy from the shed just goes, Ratter, you got my ratter. And those words cut like an icy knife to the heart because it's just so scary. It's so creepy and horror filmy and horrifying. But also like we all know exactly what he means and we've all immediately just from that one word identified who he is as well. Yeah. Because Lyra then she goes, she asks him his name and he says he's Tony Macarius and if you hadn't put two and two together, we realise that he's the little boy that we saw Mrs. Coulter take, which makes it hurt even more because yeah. he was such a lovely little boy with his dribbly pie Aww. chin. And and he ran so far with that pie and kept it intact. And I was so impressed. Right? We all had a place in our heart for little Tony. And to find out that this is what's become of him is it's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's really heartbreaking. It really is. He keeps asking, obviously, where ratter his demon is she says that she doesn't know and then she goes out to like sit in the snow because she's overwhelmed by nausea and also just general horrendousness at the situation that she's now has to deal with and then there's another quote that i put a sticker on she had to go out of the shed and sit down by herself in the snow except that of course she wasn't by herself she was never by herself because pantalaman was always there Oh, to be cut from him as this little boy had been parted from his ratter, the worst thing in the world. She found herself sobbing and Pantalemus was whimpering too. And in birth of them there was a passionate pity and sorrow for the half boy. Half boy. I know. That really got <sighs> me when I was reading it. I was like, half boy. It's such a like, I, I'm struggling for words. <laughs> I'm very emotional right now. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. It shows Lyra's strength as well. She's had to go out and have and have a cry, and there is a lot of strength in that. Oh yeah, there is a lot of strength in taking that time to go and have a cry and have a moment with yourself to like work through that and pick up the courage to carry on with what you need to do. I think there's a lot of strength in that. Yeah. So she kind of gets back up and she calls him to come out, and he comes out and he's still clutching the little dried fish. Oh God. Uh, yeah, t- Tony and his fish. Yeah, I know. Uh, anyway, there's going to be a lot of this for me. <laughs> this chapter, and she notices that he is dressed in garments that look warm enough. He's wearing like a thickly padded anorak and his fur boots and all this stuff, but it's all secondhand and it doesn't look like it fits well. So you kind of get this impression that wherever he's been, he's been looked after yeah in such a way that he's been given like cold weather clothing. Yeah, he's not in rags or anything. He's in like appropriate enough clothing for the snow yeah and because we know his journey as in we know that he was a little boy that mrs coulter took that he wasn't wearing those clothes when he got taken so there's something going on here where they've like you said they've looked after him to some extent they've changed his clothes so yeah it kind of makes you think what else have they have they been doing well apart from Cutting away his fucking demon, oh my god. Yeah, they seem to at least have been keeping him warm and safe to a certain extent. I say safe in inverted commas. Yeah. (laughs) So the guy with the lantern calls down and says that they have to pay for the fucking fish. What in the fuck? (laughs) Read the room, guy. (laughs) I've got this fucking village. This is my notes. This fucking villager. He retreats to a safe distance, in inverted commas, when the boy comes out, but still has the nerve to ask her to pay for the fucking fish. And then Lyra's like, she felt like telling Yorick to kill him, which is too fucking right. Yeah. Because yeah. that is so disgusting. How can you not feel that sense of compassion and pity towards this little child that you've seen to a point where you can't even just let him take a fucking fish? I, I know, I know, I... I don't get where this... I, do you know, like, sometimes when things like this happen, so, like, later on in the chapter, we'll meet the guy that accidentally takes the fish away from him. I have a bit of compassion for him because he didn't know what he was doing and he wants to make it right. But this guy, I, I can't even, like, even think about where he was coming from with this. Like, where was his head? I can't, like, extend my empathy to be like, oh, maybe it was this. I'm just like, what the fuck? Yeah. I think it's a really lovely thing to have put in because you've just felt so horrified and then so sad and then so gut-wrenched that I think what you need to get you through the rest of these pages is a bit of, like, righteous indignation. Yeah. And, like, you need to feel that anger that Lyra feels. I think that helps to, like, propel her through that kind of, like, rage and indignation of being like, who the fuck do you think you are asking me to pay for this fish when I'm getting rid of this ghost child? That's kind of what you need to propel you through the rest of this couple of pages, I think, is that kind of sense of anger. And I think we're going to find that a lot part of what keeps people going in this world is like that sense of that need for justice when an injustice has been done. I also love that Lyra is an angry person because you don't get that a lot in women in books, Mm. especially like leading women. A lot of the books that I've read that have prominent female characters, they have their moments where they'll get angry or or be like really fierce or whatever, but they're few and far between and they're always to like move the plot along or to have that moment of surprise being like, oh my God, look at this character suddenly being really angry. That's not like them. But I like that it's in Lyra's character anyway and we've seen it. We've seen it a lot 
before now and we'll probably see it a lot throughout the books but I just really like that that's already in her definitely she's not graceful with her rage (laughs) she's an angry little kid and I love it yeah exactly so she guides Tony they do keep referring to him throughout the chapter as the half boy which kind of hurts a little bit half child and half boy and it's like I know and she guides him back to Yorick and he doesn't even really register Yorick like he has no reaction to this giant bear which is really sad because it kind of shows you how much he's lost of himself from losing his demon definitely if we were to compare his reaction to Yorick to Lyra it's like Lyra was like amazed and shocked and fearful and just in awe and wonder and like excited and scared and all these emotions and he's just nothing yeah yeah he's just nothing and it's it it hurts (laughs) she helps him get on Yorick's back he keeps asking for for Rata I know and Lyra asks if she can sit on Yorick too and Yorick's like my arm weighs more than two children don't fucking worry about it mate sassy Yorick lift the mood lift the mood (laughs) with some sassy Yorick yeah (laughs) yeah they both get on Yorick and then Pan wants to cuddle the little half child like you mentioned they keep calling him that (sighs) but can't because of the taboo and then we keep being reminded of this taboo. I think we've heard it quite a few times now. And it must be, think of how strong this is, this taboo is, that in this situation, which is extraordinary and horrendous, it's still in place. Like, it's still not broken. Yeah. Especially because Lyra's feeling like compassion, Pan's feeling like compassion. Like, it's such a strong emotion that's coming through in these pages, and it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So they ride up through the village, and the villagers like are looking out and seeing what they see as being hideously a hideously mutilated creature and that's so fucking horrible it's so horrible it's interesting as well isn't it that they can tell that his demon isn't there because of the way that he's acting because obviously his demon could have just been like a little mouse up his sleeve or something but they know from just looking at him and seeing how he's acting that his demon is gone and i think something on the level of like magical and like they talk about it being uncanny and all this kind of stuff and there must be something that they feel that their demons feel yeah that's somehow being because like yeah like you said his demon could just be really small and hiding but somehow there is something else about him about like coming off his like aura almost not that i'm into auras but like <laughs> no i know what you mean yeah like, yeah yeah you can just feel it yeah exactly yeah, yeah. oh god the village sees them walking away but again it's this thing that they're fearful of is just being taken away by a little girl and a great white bear. Yeah. And that's like their recurring thing from like the end of the Trollison chapter. Yeah. Where the little girl and her cat and the great white bear walking off into the distance. So there's just so many villages and towns experiencing this thing of like a little girl and a big bear come through and solve all our problems or cause a lot of problems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I do. I, I love that, that imagery that... It, pretty legendary yeah yeah oh god yeah definitely and then we get to the bit that we talked about earlier where lyra is fighting with like revulsion and compassion and then compassion wins it then mentions that lyra's riding on yorick has become like automatic now but tony wasn't riding actively so he was really difficult to to like keep on yorick because he's kind of just sat there not being able to give any of his attention or care to being on this bear at all. So Lyra is helping him. They get back to the Egyptians who have stopped to rest. I think it's um 
maybe worth pointing out that like the few times that he does speak because she says from time to time he spoke and the only times he's spoken throughout this entire chapter have been to Lyra and have been where's my ratter where's where's my demon gone is she gonna know where I am if I'm if we leave here like yeah. all this kind of, it's all demon focused because he knows that there's this massive part of him that he just can't find mm. and that is gone and Lyra kind of humors him as well doesn't she because she says like he asks if Ratta will know where he is, and I think Lyra says something along the lines of, "Like, yeah, we'll we'll tell her, or she'll know, or something like that." We're, and it's just like, well, what else are you supposed to say? You can't just be really like, "No, yeah, I get that in her. You have to instill some kind of hope in him, I suppose." It's probably the only thing that's keeping him going, and that's one of the small kindnesses that she can pay to him right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just to kind of keep that hope alive. Yeah. So. Yeah, they get back to the Egyptians and they stop to rest. And then <laughs> my note was the, the lads all rush forwards because there's just a bunch. Uh, I couldn't be asked to like name them all. So I was like, the lads are there. They rush forward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they all pull back when they see Tony and she tells them what the gobblers do. And then Yorick sasses the fucking shit out of the lot of them. As well he should. Yes. Oh my God. Because they are running to help Lyra. They spot the boy and they all just stop dead in their tracks and like hold back because they're scared and having having this exact same reaction that Lyra had when she first saw him. And we've just read how well she dealt with it. Yeah. And they're full grown fucking men. They're not a 12 year old girl. Yeah, exactly. They've seen things. They've fought. They've been in battle. They've done all this stuff. And they're like hanging back scared. Yeah. It's bullshit. And yeah, you can do your ex-quote if you want. (laughs) (laughs) So he says, shame on you. Think what this child has done. You might not have more courage, but you should be ashamed to show less. And then, I mean, props to John Farr, because he's just immediately like, yeah, yeah, you're right, mate. I get it. You're right. And he immediately is then like, get the children some food, like make sure they're warm and all that kind of stuff. So although it was a rough start for them seeing Tony. I do kind of appreciate how quickly John Farr was just like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I just think it's a bit shitty that Yorick even had to step in at this point because, like, I don't know, you're a bunch of full-grown men. Like, you should know better. And I also think if there were any women in the party, they might not have had that reaction had they seen a child in such a condition. Yeah, that's true. They might have had that feeling of, like, shock and horror but I don't think, I think their initial instinct would be, oh my God, what can I do to like care for this child? I don't, I'm not just like painting all men with the same brush and all women with the same brush, but I do think that they've got a group of fighters and doers and like their group perhaps doesn't have that many people in there that are willing to do the emotional labor that needs doing in this time. Yeah. Because what needs to happen now is the compassionate people of the group come forward and care for this like, half child that's true although i would say that i think that father Coram's a very compassionate character yeah but he obviously falls a little bit short in this bit when he doesn't help but then later on he yeah i think we see his relationship with lyra again and obviously i love that so dad yeah (laughs) (laughs) and yeah like i said john far um gets them some food and they're all bustling around Lyra and she's trying to tell John Farr about the witches because if you remember from last chapter Yorick was like Lyra you should definitely tell John Farr about all those witches that we saw in the sky and she falls asleep and wakes to see Yorick's face inches 
from hers. I was like, oh my God, can you imagine? You'd fucking shit yourself if that happened. You just woke up and there's it's this just like massive nose. fucking bear. Yeah. Just giant polar bear nose breathing in your face. <laughs> but like, she's like not bothered at all. I think that even if I had the relationship that she has with Yorick, that would still scare me to wake up and have a bear's face right in mine. It would scare me to wake up and have anybody's face right in my face. <laughs> That's true. It's true. Um, But yeah, so Pan has gone to get him because they need to tell John Farrah about the wishes and obviously Lyra's going to fall asleep. So she asks Yorick to do it for her. And it's really sweet that Yorick does. Oh, they've got such a nice little relationship going on. Poor thing. She's knackered and just goes like full straight to sleep. Yeah. It says that she wakes up in the day, like, well, what's left of the daytime? Like, because obviously they're really far north. But inside Fardacorum's sledge. And then that made me think... What do these sledges look like and how can you be inside a sledge? Maybe it's just got like a little canopy or something on it. Or maybe he just means on the sledge. Like maybe she's... Because she's all tucked up in blankets, isn't she? Yeah. They must be pretty big sledges for all the stuff that they're carrying. So maybe they could have some kind of like canopy over them so that she could be under it. Yeah. And that, that makes me think that I'd kind of... I think I'd enjoy that. I like sleeping in things that are moving. That sounds really fucking weird, but I do. Fair play. <laughs> I find it weirdly easy to fall asleep on trains, but that's probably because usually when I'm on trains, I'm like knackered from a really long journey or like doing my morning commute and it's 7am. So I'm like, oh, I'll just have a little extra sleep. <laughs> but I would like to be asleep in a sledge, please. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. <laughs> Let's make that happen for me. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Pan is up and he is... Trying the shape of an arctic fox. Oh, I love that he's just trying it out. Yeah. And is that because they saw one? So obviously they saw the uh, one of the villager guys in the last village had an arctic fox demon. So I'm assuming that's why he's trying it out. And then that made me think again, do they have to see something to be able to turn into it? Because in the first couple of chapters, he turns into a dragon, if you remember, like a little dragon. Yeah. So how could he have seen a dragon? Unless they exist in this world. I don't know. I think it's a combination of like, of a few different things. Because there's potentially a conversation that might happen in one of the later books that explains a small amount of it. I won't go into it. Mm-hmm. I've read lots of like Reddit threads and like internet discussions on, on the different things. But um, so far as we know, that could be the case, except for the dragon thing. But then I think Lyra and Pan will have read about dragons in books and seen pictures in like storybooks and stuff yeah at that point so yeah i don't know watch this space i suppose we'll see if it gets any clearer uh father Coram comes to wake lyra up and she starts to tell him like the alethiometer tried to tell her about the what the gobblers do but she didn't understand it and he kind of not cuts her off because she notices that he's like obviously wants to tell something important and he tells her that tony is dead so sad yeah and that he all he could do like he couldn't settle he could i'm gonna read the quote it's just gonna make me cry but i don't care i'm afraid to tell you this after what you've done but that little boy died an hour ago he couldn't settle he couldn't stay in one place he kept asking after his demon where she was was she a coming soon and all and he just kept holding tight onto that bare old piece of fish as if oh i can't speak of it but he closed his eyes and finally fell still And that was the first time he looked peaceful, for he was like any other dead person then, with his demon gone in the course of nature. Oh, It's just the image of him, like, holding on to that fish that breaks my heart. Like... I know. Yeah, I can't. I can't. But then there's a really nice bit here where 
uh, Father Coram says that he's really proud of her. He's like, child, you did a brave thing and a good thing, and I'm proud of you. Oh, yeah, Dad. She's she's shown incredible strength, and she's it's just gonna keep happening. <sighs> um, <laughs> But yeah, so he says, you know, now we know what they're doing. We know our duty. You know, nothing could be clearer than ever that we've got to stop this. We've got to, like, we've got to beat those gobblers. Um, he tells her to eat and he, like, fusses around her. Aww. Like, like, ugh. He's, like, tucking her in and stuff. It's so cute. Yeah. I love him so much. I just... Yeah. Oh, oh God. And it's then, just... yeah, Lyra says that she wants to go and see Tony. And he says he can't... Well, he... It says he can't refuse her because she's seen worse than a dead body. And then I'm, I'm assuming that that means that they think that seeing someone without their demon is worse than seeing a dead body. Also, he was legit there when she saw someone die, so... Yeah. She saw someone with an arrow, like, right through them. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Did she see him die or not? I don't think no, she did. No, I don't think she did. I think that she... They went to see him, like, when he was dying, didn't they? And then she left, and I think he died after that. Yeah, but I do think he's referring to like the kid without that demon. But yeah. I'm also like you, you've taken her to see some real shit, Coram. Like, don't even, <laughs> don't even go there. That's true. Yeah, that didn't even. I didn't even think about that when I was when I was reading it. I was like, yeah, you, that's very true. The next bit is that she goes to see Tony, and his body is under a blanket by the path. The thing that I wanted to just call out briefly here, which I thought was very fucking weird, it says that she touches his eyes his eyeballs because it says that <laughs> i think she mean they mean like you know when you like um i'm doing hand gestures that <laughs> do not work in podcast medium you know when people like close the, the dead person's eyes i did yeah i did think that but it says eyes and then it says that it says something about them being like mob like glass or marbles or marble cold. marble cold but i think that's more in reference to the temperature like as cold as a slab of marble not like a round shiny glass marble <laughs> i don't right. know right i am just saying <laughs> that it says eyes it does not say eyelids so i know when i read it i was like is she just full-on touching his eyeballs because that is fucking weird i yeah it, it could read like that but i'm gonna choose to read it as she like <laughs> closes his eyes with her fingers whereas i'm choosing to read it as that's gross and i kind of love it she just poked a corpse in the <laughs> eye <laughs> lyra <laughs> and then she realizes that she agrees with phytocorum and she's like he does just look like any other person whose human whose demon would have disappeared mm -hmm. when they died like he just and he does look peaceful and she just starts thinking about like what she'd do if pan was taken from him she sweeps him up and hugs pan really really tight and then starts thinking about how all tony had to hug tight when he died was that piece of fish and then realizes the fish is gone yeah the fish is gone someone's taken the fish yeah yeah and she is so furious and she asks the men that are around where it is yeah it says they stopped puzzled and sure what she meant though some of their demons knew and looked at one another one of them one of the men began to grin uncertainly and then she loses her shit as is only proper yeah She's like shouting at them saying like, don't you dare laugh, I'll tear your lungs out if you laugh at him. And then she doesn't notice, but Pan turns into a snow leopard behind her. Yeah. Like Stel Maria, Azriel's demon. Interesting. And also not not entirely surprising as we know how Lyra feels about Azriel. So I think Pan turning into a, a snow leopard. I enjoyed the bit and I enjoyed that also she doesn't see it. I 
kind of hope the person that grins is doing it out of like awkwardness and not being a dick. Yeah, because, I do. Yeah, I yeah. have that too. But yeah, the guy that does come forward, <laughs> I love the idea of these like full grown men kind of quaking and feeling ashamed under the fury of a 12 year old girl yeah well that's why i have like quite a bit of sympathy for this guy because i feel obviously he's the guy that took the fish and he was doing it to try and be respectful because he didn't know it's not his fault that he didn't know the the meaning of it and what had happened entirely so i do feel quite sorry for him yeah but he did feed it to his dogs but also like i again i think if there were women in the party, this might not have happened, is what I'm yeah. saying. So, like, I can't see any of these, like, big burly fighting men. We've not seen a lot of emotional intelligence from many people that aren't far decorum at this point. That's true. And also, like, where was Lee? Lee should have noticed. He oh, should have been, like... Yeah. I feel like it's just a real injustice, and I get that's the point, but, like, it's a real injustice to little Tony that these people didn't even care enough when they were trying to look after him overnight when he did die that they even noticed why he was clutching the fish Mm. i have a lot of feelings about it (laughs) (laughs) this is a perfect medium to talk about your feelings for the rich i know (laughs) and then lyra does something that is the most grown-up fucking thing Mm. a person in this situation could do and like is the most thoughtful just yeah. So her response to the guy, he's like, he's like, oh, I do beg your pardon. And she's like, it isn't my pardon that you need. It's his, which I think is a great comeback to it. Yeah. But also as if he doesn't feel bad enough. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. She has an idea and she finds a gold coin in her purse, demands a knife from the man who'd taken the fish. And uh, she scratches Ratter's name into the coin. Yeah. And puts it in little Tony's mouth. Yeah. I also love the gross bit about his jaw being really she has to really try to get his mouth open and yeah just me being the creep that i am i really enjoyed that description yeah it's like what's it's being sweet and thoughtful it's also being very real and yeah gruesome yeah and like gory and to the point yeah but like for me that's kind of the most i have ever respected lyra mm. is that moment when she does that it's just so it's really, really grown up and it's really, really... It shows a lot of thought and compassion because she's a, tw- she's a 12-year-old girl. Yeah. She, like, I say, I keep saying she's 12. Like, I cannot remember if we've been told exactly how old she is. I don't like, think we have, but I think yeah. we've just assumed that she's 12. So I'll just go with it. Yeah, she is like a young girl. and She has just been through this really harrowing experience. She's got the composure and the wherewithal and the compassion and the thoughtfulness to think of this thing that happened to her so long ago and be like, this is what I can do. That's a mark of respect and like what feels proper for me right now. And like, I have a lot of feelings about the different ways that people choose to grieve and the different ways that people choose to act around things like funerals and burials and stuff, because it's just, it is a really, really personal thing. Yeah. And I think later on in the chapter, when they actually talk about um, they build a pyre for him because they can't dig into the ground. When they actually talk about that, that's dealt with very quickly. Yeah. Because for us, in this book, for the main character, she's not really bothered about that. The moment that she's bothered about is this really like personal moment where she's putting the coin in his mouth and she's paying him this respect that she feels that he really deserves as this just anonymous child. Mm-hmm. Like, we know who he is because he was taken by Mrs. Coulter and he had that moment earlier in the book. But to everyone else, he's just this anonymous boy. They could just burn him and be done with it. But she wants to do something that feels really like 
it's just kind of giving him this like respect and honor and like it's just really lovely it is it shows as well how much how high she holds they're like jordan scholars as well so she wants to do what she's seen that they do uh, in terms of when people die and i think that that's interesting because like we've mentioned before it's, it's all that she's ever known so it makes sense but yeah it's still interesting to think that she still holds the scholars and jordan as being I don't know, like really high in her estimations now that she's kind of moved on from that. They're still there in her mind. Yeah, and it's the highest mark of respect she can, she knows to even think of to give to someone. And it's just really lovely because he is just this anonymous little street urchin, really. Yeah. I just have a lot of feelings about this moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's a big moment. Uh, And after that, she goes back to Father Corum and she has some soup, bless her. I love it. She does this really profound, meaningful thing. And then she goes and guzzles some soup. Yeah. <laughs> She's hungry. She's had a big day. She has. <laughs> and uh, she asks what they're going to do about the witches and whether his witch, in quotations, was one of them. He's like, my witch? Oh, I wouldn't presume that far. <laughs> but also like, my witch? <laughs> my witch? Yeah. And then he blushes and he fans himself in a debonair way with his head <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he well he says like an interesting thing about the witches here so he says uh, they might be going anywhere there's all kinds of concerns that play on the life of witches things invisible to us mysterious sicknesses that they fall prey to which we'd shrug off causes of war beyond our understanding joys and sorrows bound up with the flowering of tiny plants upon the tundra and then he says that he wished, wishes that he'd seen them flying oh I wish I'd been yeah. able to see a sight like that but interesting that there's like um, sicknesses and that the witches can get that humans wouldn't and that like their, I suppose, genetics, even though the witches, from what we assume, appear human, mm-hmm. they're very different in the sense that there's things that would affect them that wouldn't affect humans. Yeah, definitely. Again, I just love that their business is with nature. Yeah. They care far more about the flowers on the tundra than they do about the business of the peoples. <laughs> of course they do. Yeah. They've got important they got business. Witch, they've got nature business to do. <laughs> it just kind of reinforces how different witches are and how they're so far apart from people so that when we do encounter Kaiser, the witch's demon and stuff, that kind of reinforces how special that is. Yeah. Oh, also, in the next paragraph... I think I found a typo, and I think it actually is a typo this time. Oh, okay. It said, The food revived Lyra, and presently the chiller her soul began to melt, and began to is one word. Oh, it's two words in mine. Ah! So it is a typo. So you mentioned they cremate Tony, and Lyra goes to watch, and uh, they set off travelling again. And it's snowing heavily, but the dogs continue to run, and I was like, ah, good doggers. They're they're carrying on. Um, And they stop again to rest after a while. And uh, John Falls talking to Lee, hey Lee, about using the balloon. And then Lyra thinks of the spy fly and they actually call it a spy fly in this chapter, but they didn't before, which which is interesting because I think in the whatever chapter we first met them, I was like, oh, I don't think they call them spy flies in the book, but they do in the TV series. And it turns out they do here. They probably just needed a, a word because the way that they described them when they first came in, they were describing like what they did and, and how they worked and what they were. And they didn't really need that one specific word to describe them, but now they're bringing them back up again in the context of a different setting. It's easier to give them a name. Yeah, it definitely simplifies things. 
Yeah, um, and she asks Fardakar on what happened to the tin that he trapped it in. He's just like, oh, I've got it in a kit bag. Don't worry about it. It's all soldered shirt. Like, don't worry. It's not going to come and get you, Lyra. You don't need to worry. You're safe. And she's like, okay, thanks. And then the first chance she actually just nicks it out of his bag. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. She's not like, oh, I have an idea. Let me tell you about it. She's like, no, I'm just going to nick it out of his bag when he's not looking. And I feel like he completely misread that situation as well. He's like, you're safe. Don't worry, Lyra. It's fine. I've got you. And she's like, yeah, not what I was, not why I was asking. But... Not why I was asking. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe it was his reaction that made her be like, eh, I'm not going to try and explain it. I'm just going to nick it. Yeah, I'm just going to take it and go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, so she steals it and then she explains like her idea to Yorick about the tin and he listens and then gets to work on it. But we don't really know what or why he's doing what he's doing to this tin. But um, there is a good quote about Yorick working. She marvelled at the skill of his hands. Unlike most bears, he and his kin had opposable thumb claws. And I'm just going to stop there because if you remember in one of the first chapters we were wondering whether, because it said something about them having human hands and we were like, are these bears with human hands? Oh yeah, hands like a man. Yeah, 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 that's it. <laughs> hands like a man. Yeah. And now we learn for sure that they are just claws, but they've got opposable thumbs. So I was like, it's okay. It's just a polar bear with person hands. Oh my God, God. <laughs> oh God. It says that yet they have opposable thumb claws, which they could hold things still to work on them, and he had some innate sense of strength and flexibility of metals, which meant that he only had to lift it once or twice, flex it this way and that, and he could run a claw over it in a circle to score it for folding. So you kind of get a, more of a sense, because when we saw Yorick like, working with metal last time, he was working with like big pieces of metal, and I think this kind of shows that the bears can actually be very like intricate with metal as well because he's making he's making a tin that is so small it must be so small to him, but he can still like get in there and and like do really fine lines and fine folds on it. Later on, we find out that one of his claws is like the size of Lyra's hand. Yeah, that is huge. So imagine him like just with like the tippy tips of his claws, like yeah, just doing this amazing thing. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. He makes her two tins. One is the same as the original and the other is the same size and shape as the alethiometer. But we don't find out at all why she's done this. No, I love it. It's just a sneaky Lyra plan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even to us, which is so weird because we re haven't really had anything like that before. We haven't had Lyra keep a secret from us, the reader. I can vaguely remember where this goes, but I'm looking forward to like that coming up again because I, I imagine when I first read it, I just completely forgot about that. And then when it comes up in, like, whenever it comes back up, you're just like, oh, cool, I remember that now. Yeah. No, I like it. I like it a lot. And it, I like that she, yeah, she makes, she takes the care to, like, fill the alethiometer-sized tin with uh, moss and hairs. I don't appreciate that she puts hair in it. Mm -mm. But she puts, like, moss and stuff in it to, like, muffle the rattling um, so that it does, it is just a, a silent enough thing that looks the same shape as the alethiometer, yeah. which is pretty cool. When all that's done, she sits next to Yorick and he's just chewing on a on a reindeer leg that's frozen. And I'm imagining him like when you give a Labrador a jumbo and they're just like... <laughs> a reindeer lollipop that yeah. he's like gnawing on. <laughs> and I love it. It's so gross. Aww. I guess all of the events of the past day or so has had Lyra thinking about demons and what it would be like to not have one. And she asks Yorick about... If it's hard not having a demon, does he get lonely? And he's like, no, 
Lonely, I don't know. They told me this is cold. I don't know what cold is, because I don't freeze. I don't know what lonely is either, because bears are made to be solitary, and that's why I picked a bear as my animal this week. Oh, Because Yorick was talking about how they solitary. I also just love that he can't have a conversation without being sassy. He just sasses everyone. I know, right? You say this is cold. That's not cold. <laughs> I don't freeze. Okay, alright. Calm down. <laughs> the rest of us do. Chill yeah. so. out, Yorick. She asks about the uh, Svalbard bears, and he just ignores her. So she presses on. Beg pardon. Please, misters. (laughs) Please, misters. Oh, my God. (laughs) Literally, that's all it made me think of was, please, misters. Oh, God. Right. We have to explain that now. So (laughs) there's a picture that went around Twitter, and for our listeners that are in London... It, and other people that have visited you'll know on the underground they have like a little screen on it that kind of shows you where you're going um and like what the stops are and it was just a picture of that and for some reason it said please misters on it and it was like i can't remember that what the um the caption was like when the ghost of a victorian schoolboy is trapped inside your tube train <laughs> yes that's it please oh. misters please misters oh, so great i love that it brings me joy whenever I think about it. <laughs> I think about it re- like really often. <laughs> Back off the tangent onto the main road again. <laughs> Back in. Back in. Yeah. So she just blitz doesn't know when to stop. He ignores her and she still presses on. And uh, she's curious about the Svalbard bears because of her father. And she tells him about the bears in prison in Azrael. And he says that he doesn't no, because he's not a Svalbard bear. He says, no, I was a Svalbard bear, but I am not now. I was sent away as a punishment because I killed another bear. So I was deprived of my rank and my wealth and my armor and sent out to live at the edge of the human world and fight when I could find employment at it or work at brutal tasks and drown my memory in raw spirits. And then this is when I know that Lyra draws this comparison later on, but this is when I was like, oh yeah, he's, his background's very Azrael. She asks why he killed the other bear and he says it's because of anger. There are ways among bears of turning away our anger with each other, but I was out of my own control. And so it makes you wonder why was he out of control? We know that in order to get his armour off him, people had to get him drunk and that bears are very controlled. And we learn later on in this chapter how much control he has and how much calm he does have when she's like whacking him with a stick and he just (laughs) bats it off. The idea that he could lose control is quite interesting. And then this this is when Lyra draws a comparison between him and Azriel. They're both wealthy and high ranking, and they've both killed someone and lost everything. I, I kind of, on that note, I was like, oh, Lyra, Yorick would be a much better dad than Azriel. Definitely. Fair dad. I mean, also, it. like, she just can't get off the Azriel train. Like, stop it, Lyra. It's kind of like consuming her, isn't it? It's just everything relates back to him, no matter what. And yeah. I just. I don't care for it. I don't, I don't care, care for it. For it. <laughs> yeah. She uh, she asks questions about Svalbard. Um, like, can you get there? Like, how do you get there? Can you get there over the frozen sea? Um, and he says that you'd need a boat. And she's like, or a balloon, maybe. Because that's the other thing that she keeps thinking about. When is she going to get a fucking ride on that balloon? Right, she's ridden the bear. Now she wants to ride yeah. the balloon. Like, <laughs> yeah. she's got her like bucket list of things that she wants to ride by the end of the book. <laughs> He says yes, but you'd have to have the right wind. And a wild notion flew into Lyra's mind as she remembers all those witches in the night sky, but she said nothing about that. 
Do you think that she's like thinking about flying with witches? I think so. I think I love how this chapter's peppered through with bits that Lyra has an idea but doesn't tell us what it is. Yeah, she's she's making plans, getting getting all the information that she needs for her cunning plan. Yeah, but we don't get to know what the cunning plan is. But we're pretty sure it involves rescuing her shit of a dad. Yeah. <laughs> we can assume that that's yeah that's in there somewhere. Uh, Yorick tells her all about Svalbard. The wildlife sounds great. So yesterday when I was doing my research, I had to Google how to pronounce. I can see Rich laughing at me. Uh, <laughs> I had to Google how to pronounce nar narwhal 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 because right, Google fucked me over because the British pronunciation when I pressed play on it, it just said narwhal narwhal, and I was like what. And then I went on the American pronunciation and that was like narwhal. And I was like, what is it? So I still don't know. I'm just going to say narwhal. Also, if you say it too many times, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love the wildlife that he describes here and I really want to see a narwhal. And yeah, they mentioned cliff gasps, which we haven't heard of before. And also bear smiths. Huh? Does that mean that there's little bears? Little bears. Does that mean there's massive bears? The uh, um, what lo- what's the word? Why do I keep thinking of locksmiths? Blacksmiths. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It's very exciting, and that's where all the armor gets made, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Lyra asked him if they took away the armor, which was one of his penalties when he was exiled. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did he get the armor that he has now? And he says he made it himself. Yeah. He went and made it himself. Um, in Nova Zembla, which I know is an actual little islandy bit, because. I used to have the world map as my shower curtain. No. Thank you. Got that knowledge. But I used to, whenever I looked at it, because it was like right at eye level on the shower curtain, it made me think of Yorick. It made me think of... Because also Svalbard is on there as like a little island as well. And it always makes me think of these books when you look like Nova, Nova Zembler and Svalbard. And- oh, yeah. I did not know that was a real place at all. Yeah, so he says he made his own armour and that's and she's like, whoa, wow, bears can make their own souls. And then she says there's a, there was a great deal in the world to know and I just think that's really cute that she's so eager and like full of this like urge to learn new things. She's and... a little knowledge sponge. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she asks who the king of Svalbard is and he's called Jörfa Ragnarsson. And that's not the first time we've heard that name. Mm-hmm. Cast your mind back to chapter two. Yes. As Lyra is about to do now. Yes. When she... <laughs> I kind of love the um, description she has here. That name shook a little bell in Lyra's mind. She'd heard it before, but where? And not in a bear's voice either, nor in Egyptian's. The voice that had spoken it was a scholar's voice, precise and pedantic and lazily arrogant. Very much a Jordan College voice. (laughs) She tried it again in her mind. Oh, she knew it so well. And then she had it, the retiring room. The scholars listening to Lord Asriel. It was the Palmyrian professor who'd said something about Joffa Ragnarsson. And I love that she's just like, oh yeah. It was a dickhead that said it. Yeah. It must have been a Jordan some, scholar. Some twat said it. <laughs> he was an arrogant shit. Must have been a Jordan scholar. <laughs> she says that there's something that she can't put a finger on. And mm. I couldn't remember what it was, so I went back to the second chapter. I can remember it. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> that was creepy sounding. <laughs> I can remember it. I could not. And I went back to the second chapter and just so everyone knows, I took a picture of the page. So it's Trelawney, I think, who the scholar is. And they say, at the same time, he could be flattered into behaving quite differently if the need arose. And do you know how, Trelawney, said the dean sneeringly? Indeed I do. Do you know what he wants above all else, even more than an honorary degree? He wants a demon. Find a way to give him a demon and he'd do anything for you. Ooh. For all the listeners that 
have shit memories like me and I couldn't remember so you're welcome (laughs) I also like that you're not it's not necessarily important that you do remember they've just left it there for anyone that does want to like flick back to that chapter oh absolutely like when I read this for the first time I didn't go I I don't think I remembered but I also didn't go back I kind of wanted to be surprised by it when it comes up again because I've obviously brought it back at this point to then call forward to it later on because also at the point when Lyra learned this information the first time around she didn't even realize he was a bear yeah exactly she didn't even she was like she was hearing talk of bears and kings and so much information was blasted at us in chapter two it was just really interesting that now that she knows it's a bear and she knows about yorick and about the armor and the soul situation that like if she is going to put two and two together it will make so much more sense yeah yeah exactly yorick says that asriel won't escape the bears but they'll give him a house, a servant, food, fuel. I'm like, sweet. That sounds like a pretty decent setup. Yeah, a pretty, pretty sweet deal if you're a nobleman. Mm, yeah. I don't know how the bears treat you if you're not a noble person. That's true. But also, yeah. why do they give a shit? They just want to get a really good rating on Airbnb. <laughs> so. <laughs> they might. It might be a prison, but they still want like a good TripAdvisor review. So <laughs> only from noblemen though. Yeah, well, this is the thing. They don't really care what the layperson has to say. Just the wealthy, just the wealthy guys. That's canon now. <laughs> the bears, the bears wanting a good trip advice. Yep, yep, yep. I think it is the kind of thing that Yoffa would care about from the sounds of the guy. <laughs> Lyra asked if the bears could ever be defeated because obviously she's co- cooking up an escape plan, mm-hmm. or like a rescue plan, like ugh, whatever. Um, <laughs> the amount I don't care about whether Lyra rescues Azriel is. <laughs> ridiculous um Yorick's like no like look at me you couldn't defeat me uh, Lyra's like ooh or tricked maybe mm-hmm. and he stops and looks at her and he's like you'll never defeat the armoured bears you've seen my armour now look at my weapons and he just gets his fancy hands out for her <laughs> woo look at my hands look at my hands and this is where we find that each one of his claws was as long as Lyra's hand at least and as sharp as a knife that's just scary. Yeah, that is. <laughs> That's very scary. Also, he says, one blow will crush a seal's skull or break a man's back or tear off a limb and I can bite. If you had not stopped me in Trollicent, I would have crushed that man's head like an egg, like a Labrador yeah, with an egg. that was my note. I was like, oh my God, he would have done the Labrador Dogs thing. Dogs <laughs> That was all I had to say oh. about that. I just wanted to read that and yeah. hark back to that moment. No, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, so for trickery, fence me. Yeah. I don't know how that's a proof of trickery because I, but yeah, then she has an amazing stick fight with him and it's great. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Yeah. She's like trying like at first, like she doesn't want to jab at him, but she finally decides to. And then he just like instantly like flicks the stick aside and she keeps trying with the same results. She thinks that like, oh, he seems to know what I'm going to do before I actually do it. And she becomes like more and more exasperated. She gets like fiercer as she goes along because I think at first she was like, oh no, I don't want to hurt him. And now she's just like, I'm just going to fucking try. And this whole thing of him sitting like perfectly still while she's like swiping at him, but not going to hit him. And he doesn't move. And then when she actually tries to hit him, he's just like, beep, like baps it away with a paw. It's cute and stuff, but like, surely that's to do with body language Mm. more than it is to do with trying to con someone. Yeah, yeah. And she gets frightened and stops. And I was like, oh, she starts getting frightened of him. I was like, don't be frightened of him. He loves you. It's a, it's a weird way of saying it is that, that she gets frightened, isn't it? I guess it's like he it's done the job. Like she's convinced that he can't be tricked and that he knows her, like, her every move before she does it. And I can kind of see that like freaking out a kid. 
In the same way that being like, I got your nose, (laughs) like would freak out a smaller kid. I think if he did that to a grown up, they'd be like, oh, cool. You can read body language. Yeah, that's true. Or like, you're good at fencing. Yeah. She says to him that she bets he could stop. Sorry, bets that he could catch bullets and asks him how he does it. And then this is quite a good explanation. So he says, by not being human. That's why you could never trick a bear. We see tricks and deceit as plain as arms and legs. We can see in a way humans have forgotten. But you know about this. You can understand the symbol reader. So he's comparing Lyra to him because she can read the uh, the alethiometer or the symbol reader. They don't know any other humans that can read it. Or at least read it in the way that Lyra reads it without the books. He compares it. He says that it's the same as the alethiometer and the adults can't read it, as he understands. As he is to human fighters, so she is to adults with the symbol reader. And then she's like, oh, does that mean that I'll forget how to use it when I grow up? Mm. And that's the first hint that we've had that, like, there could be something about the fact that she's a child that makes her more likely to be able to read it. Yeah. And it's also quite scary to think that this thing that she's, like, this cool ability she's got could go away as she grows up. Yeah, that's true. It's just... It's an odd thing to draw. She mentions as well, or Philip Palmer mentions that Lyra, she's more nervous of the bear now than when she'd seen him be really angry. Yeah. I just don't want her to be nervous around him. <laughs> she won't be for long. It's Lyra. Like, <laughs> <That's true. laughs> But also, I don't get how he's drawing this comparison mm. when she's like, oh, does that mean I won't know how to do it when I grow up? And he's like, oh, who knows? I've never seen a symbol reader, nor anyone that could read it before. Perhaps they're different. And it's like, wait, so you've just decided this thing when yeah. you've never seen a symbol you, like your one case study is that <laughs> this child can read it and none of the adults around her can like you're drawing confu- conclusions from one yeah. case <laughs> like clutching at straws a little bit to get yeah. that in so that we it's like kind of peppered in for us i suppose she wants to talk like she wants to ask the alethiometer i assume that question there and then but her hands are her too cold. So with the tin boxes, so like she like her and Yorick stop fencing and she they're, they're calling out for her. So she goes back to like Fordacorum and she puts the empty one back in Fordacorum's bag. And then the one with the spy fly in it, she puts in a little pouch. Mm-hmm. So what is she up to? I don't know. Mm. It's odd, but also it's a bit mean that she's stolen it from Fordacorum's yeah. kit. And then replaced it. So he'll just... It's very tricksky of her mm. to do. Like, it's a bit sneaky. And, like, I would have thought she could trust Vardacorum. Yeah. And be like, look what I've done. And she's very upfront as well. Like, we've not really seen her, like, actively trick someone before. So it's interesting that she's done that. Because every other time she's just been like, look, this is what I want. Also, he's doing very well. I keep thinking about the fact that he's, like, what, 80-something? We assume, yeah. And it's yeah. bloody... F- like, they're in, like, the Arctic, basically. And he's got, he's got his sticks to walk on, too. Like, how is he getting around? Yeah. Has he got snowshoes and massive sticks? I guess, like, everyone's probably got sticks if they're trenching through, like, big snow. That's like, true. ski poles. But maybe he just sits on his sledge and gets pulled along. Oh, maybe. I hope so. I hope he's relaxing. So she basically... This is, like, Lyra hopping around, chatting from character to character because she mm. comes along and has, like, a great chat with Lee. Because yeah. he's... yeah. He's finished chatting to John Farr about stuff and she, like, it's been agreed that he's going to inflate the balloon and, you know, spy ahead from the air. And Lyra really wants, (laughs) naturally, Lyra was eager to fly with him and naturally it was forbidden. (laughs) Naturally. (laughs) Also, how shit would a balloon be to spy? Like, it would be so obvious if there's just a massive fucking balloon that's spying. Yeah. I guess if you're above the clouds and no one can see you, you can't see them. And if you're below the clouds... 
you're a massive it's blue. not very inconspicuous <laughs> who knows <laughs> but so instead of uh, she doesn't get to fly with him so instead she just pesters him yes. consistently which is great but he's so great with her as well like he kind of reminds yeah. me of father Coram in that sense because he he answers all the questions he never once gets annoyed with her for being really like inquisitive and we get to learn a lot about how his balloon works yeah which is interesting but also not that interesting i just put balloons. <laughs> it's a lot stuff. of like balloon stuff yeah, yeah. It's kind of cool to read, but it doesn't really advance the story, but it might help Lyra with a lot of her planning. Yeah. Because what she appears to be doing is she asks how it flies Mm -hmm. and how it travels and stuff. And then she asks how many people it can carry and if he can carry Yorick. Yeah. And then we get a great little story about how he's already carried Yorick in the balloon before and it was a bit of a like seat of the pants situation where he had to like calculate how heavy Yorick was on the fly and like hope for the best. They just happened to be in a spot where they could get gas from under the ground to reinflate the balloon. And it's it's kind of a cool situation. Like it's kind of gives us more of an insight into like how they're like pals. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, he's got Yorick out of a tight spot in the past. I really like it. And I also love Lyra's reaction because he tells that big story about rescuing Yorick and he's like oh like we almost didn't make it but then we did and blah 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 and then her question is like do you know that the Tartars drill holes in people's heads <laughs> I love it <laughs> and then she's like he said a cool thing what's a cool thing I can say yeah. uh... and then obviously she's also just recently been thinking about that time in the retiring room so it's probably brought it back yeah. to her yeah. she's been like oh that's a cool thing I'll ask that <laughs> And yeah, and he answers her and said that that's something that Tartars have been doing for thousands of years and that they do it to each other rather than doing it to their enemies, which is kind of what we assumed when we saw the fucking frozen human head in the second, first or second chapter. And there's yeah. a good quote that's a bit gross about how they do it. So obviously I'm going to read it. Are you going to do as a Texas accent? Absolutely not. I can't do accents. Do you want to do it? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you you got this. <laughs> so he says, that's right. First they cut part way around a circle of skin on the scalp so they can lift up a flap and expose the burn. Then they cut a little circle of burn out of the skull very carefully so they don't penetrate the brain. And then they sew the scalp back over. And that's not really that important, but also it's gross. So I wanted to read it out. I need to do some Googling of how mm. accurate that is to the actual processes that they used because it sounds pretty, pretty close. Yeah. Oh, he says that it's a great privilege to have it done. He says, hell no, <laughs> which I like. Oh, yeah. Hell no. Hell it's no. a great privilege. Yeah. <laughs> they do it so the gods can talk to them, yeah. which is interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. And she asks if he's heard of Grumman. It's a small world because he he does know Grumman. Mm-hmm. He's met him. I mean, Lee's just one of those guys that knows everybody. I imagine you could talk about anybody from any continent on the world that's like vaguely well-known slash in the explorer community. And he'd be like, yeah, I know that guy. Yeah. He went to the pub once. Yeah, I, I saved him in a bar fight. It's fine. Yeah. He says that he, um, so I assume he's talking about Grumman had the hole drilled in his head. And Lyra asks if he had that, then they wouldn't have killed him, right? If it's something that they don't, that they do to the people that they hold up in esteem rather than their enemies. And Lee asks if he's dead. And Lyra says proudly, that she's seen his head and that her father found it. Fucking hell. <laughs> she says that he'd been scalped and Lee asks who scalped it and she says that the scholars thought it was the Tartars. And then this is interesting because it's something that we'd not really thought about, but Lee says that it might not have been Grumman's head at all and that Azriel might have been lying. Yeah, it's really interesting and I, I like it a lot. And especially his reasoning of being like, yeah, it's a good trick to play. People are shocked when they see a thing like that. And so they don't look too close. Yeah. Like he's very 
on it mm. for like picking up on tricks, kind of like Yorick. Yeah. Um, that's why they make such a good team. Yeah. yeah. And obviously it's because like Asriel was asking for money. So Lee's saying, well, maybe that's why he did it to shock them so that they'd say yes. It also starts to paint Asriel in a much less noble and righteous right mm. than we've seen him. And then perhaps Lyra's been holding him in her head. Yeah. Because she's going, he's brought this explorer's head back and all this stuff. And isn't it good he got the money that he deserved and he needed? And if he's actually tricked them into thinking it was something it wasn't, then he didn't get the money he deserved necessarily because it wasn't for what he said it was for. But it's just, it's nice that they're starting to sow seeds that we already know that Azriel is a bit of a dick. But yeah. Exactly. Lyra's starting to get the seeds and I'm sure she'll ignore them for a long time. <laughs> he says that if it was Grumman's head, it wouldn't have been the Tartars that scalped him because he was a Tartar by adoption. And then Lyra thinks it all over as a like, head closer to Volvanga and the chapter ends, but I just want to read the last bit. Lyra turned that over in her mind as they drove on. There were wide currents full of meaning flowing fast around her. The gobblers and their cruelty, their fear of dust, the city and the aurora, her father in Svalbard, her mother... And where was she? The Elysiometer, the wishes flying northwards. And poor little Tony Macorius, and the clockwork spyfly, and Yorick Bernison's un- uncanny fencing. She fell asleep, and every hour they drew closer to Bolvanger. Yeah, it's a really nice final paragraph. But also, it's really great that it's kind of like a summary of like, and here's all the stuff that you've got to think about too, people. Yes. Like, here's a list of the yeah. things that Philip's written out for you thus far. We're past the halfway point in the book. What? Just letting you know. And the next chapter is called Bolvanger Lights. Ooh. Ominous. Mm. This chapter, I did like this chapter. And I think that, like like you mentioned, it's a really good Lyra chapter. And she's like a fucking good-hearted hero. And I love it. I know a lot of people like the, the chapters to be, like, action-packed. And I suppose it was for the first bit. But I also am a massive fan of, like, character development. So I really liked the bits with Lyra and Yorick and Lyra and Lee. Yeah. This is a very Fellowship of the Rings chapter. <laughs> like, it's all about getting to know the characters and there's very few fight scenes. Yeah, <laughs> Like, it's all, it's all developing and, like, developing relationships. And, I, yeah, I really like that too. Do you have an award to give out? I do. My award is for little Tony Macarius. Oh. It's going to be a trophy in the shape of his demon ratter. Oh. And I guess it'll just have to, like be installed as like a part of a headstone over wherever they burned him Ugh, it's heartbreaking and that poor little boy deserves so much better and he just deserves an award for getting as far as he did i just i want to have a little cry and give him a little cuddle who's your award for oh controversially you're going to probably be, p- be pissed off about who my award is for okay pray tell it is for the man who took the fish from tony I know. Okay. <laughs> I can see Rachel's face. She's like, what the fuck? Just because I have a lot of compassion and empathy for him because he was just trying to do the right thing and he didn't know. And I think that he was obviously upset when he found out that he'd upset Lyra. So I just want to give him a bit of recognition for that. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Fair enough. I feel bad that at no point throughout the book so far have we given Lyra a trophy. I feel like I'm saving it. Yeah. And I feel like we've kind of been trying to, up until the last couple of chapters anyway, we've been trying to choose like the minor characters. But I think if there is a chapter where I've gotten close, like the closest I've gotten to giving the award to Lyra has been this chapter, just Mm. because she's sown 
shown so much like emotional development and emotional maturity and growth and like courage and compassion she's just had like she's run the gamut of emotions like she's had so many emotions this chapter and she's it's a chapter that definitely puts her like berries lyra's character like deep in your heart you can't read that chapter and not love her after it because of how sweet she is so it's the closest i've gotten to giving it to lyra so she gets an honorary mention Mm. but i can't i I mean he's had his demon taken away i can't take his trophy away now (laughs) tony it's all yours So that's it for today's episode. Whilst we're in quarantine, whilst we're in lockdown, we're going to try our hardest to get an episode out to you every week because it's kind of the least we can do. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, But equally, we might not manage it. So please don't hold us to that. (laughs) Yeah, bear with us. We'll try our very best for you. We're aiming for it to happen every week, but it also might not. So we'll let you know though. We'll keep you updated on social media. So yeah, keep your eyes and ears peeled for updates. And keep sending us photos of your pets because the thing that we need most right now in lockdown is animal photos. Photos of your demons, photos of your pets. Keep them coming. Yes, please. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HDMPod and you can email us at herdarkmaterialspod at gmail.com. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash HDMPod. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find us. I'm Faye and when I'm not talking about Lyra and Pan, I'm probably writing. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Faily, which is F-A-Y-E-L-E triple Y. And if you want to read some of my blog posts, although I haven't written anything for a little while, I'm on Medium at Faye.Ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about little girls and polar bears, I'm making designer toys, art and illustrations. You can find me over on Instagram at RachMakes, on Twitter at Rach underscore makes, and over on my online shop, rachemakes.co.uk. A huge thank you to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings and for teaching me how to do the scary texture. We'll see you in two weeks' time. And don't forget, keep telling stories and all will be well. Bye-bye! Bye, stay safe! Bye, stay safe, stay safe. Bye. Bye-bye-bye.